Welcome to another episode of the Compete Clarity Podcast. For those of you who've been following along, this is the fifth and final episode in the CI by Industry series. Five experts, five industries, almost 50 years of combined CI experience. Join us for deep dives into the competitive intelligence processes and learnings of the experts. Head to the link in the show notes to pick up your copy of the CI by Industry ebook for distilled practical lessons from our conversations. We've already been joined by practitioners from industries as diverse as mobile gaming and healthcare. Today, we're joined by Clinton Sprov, Director of Product Marketing at Delphix, a company that offers solutions in DevOps test data management. On today's show, we discuss how to make the most of limited resources if you're a small team, the particular process Clint uses to deliver value to stakeholders fast, why being a perfectionist hurts you more than it helps you in CI, and why you don't need a huge budget or a lot of tools to do a tremendous job with competitive intelligence. Let's welcome Clint to the show. All right, Clint, welcome to the Compete Clarity podcast and the fifth episode of our CI by Industry mini-series where we pull out the commonalities and the differences between people's processes doing competitive intelligence in different industries. Um, so we like to start off just by giving the guests an opportunity to give us some of their background. So what did your journey into CI look like, uh, kind of from the beginning to where you are now? Sure. Uh, and thanks again for having me. Again, my name is Clint Sprov. So my journey pretty much started as a, um, I started off as a software developer, and then I became a, we call a pre-sales engineer or solutions architect. So I was basically working in that role because I was working with customers, you know, helping them, uh, you know, giving them the presentations, the demos, and kind of being that trusted advisor so they could buy the software. Well, at the time, there wasn't this role called a technical sales engineer. So I transitioned, I'm sorry, there wasn't a role called a technical product marketer. So because of my technical expertise with a particular product, I was asked to join the product marketing team. And I didn't know anything about product marketing at the time. So once I joined product marketing, I kind of alternated between going from a you know solutions architect to a product marketer. But product marketer has been my main um, thing for the past you know ten years. And so what I do in that role as a product marketer, um, competitive intelligence plays a big role because we have to understand okay how are we messaging against the competition? How do we position ourselves? And what does the competitive landscape look like? So I've always had a role, and this is for pretty a vast majority of product marketers where competitive intelligence is a part of our charter. So that's something that we must do. And so in doing that, I've actually had that and actually transitioned to a role where it was full-time competitive intelligence. But um, what I've noticed that a lot of times is put with product marketing. So my role in these various tech companies, so I've been in the tech industry pretty much my entire career working with various tech testing companies and DevOps companies. And so what kind of got me to competitive intelligence is really kind of being that voice and focusing heavily on that within my product marketing role. And so that's where I am today. I'm still in product marketing, but competitive intelligence plays a huge part in what I do on the, on the daily. Got you. Um, yeah, I think your journey, to be honest, mirrors a lot of people's journeys into competitive intelligence. They're kind of not at all setting out um, with any intention of doing it. Um, but along the way, they kind of build the skills necessary and they kind of fall into it and realize, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. This is pretty interesting to me. Um, you know, especially having been through you know, a, a technical sales engineer role, even software development, I guess, 
um, almost tangentially related to product and developing certain like software and stuff like that really probably enables you, I imagine, to talk about the product with um, a great deal of uh, expertise. Yes, it does. And it's really helped me in terms of not only understanding the product that we sell, but understanding how the composite competition is selling it as well and understanding how they position themselves, how they try to differentiate what they do versus what we do. So having a better or deeper understanding of the technology, not necessarily have to get you know super deep into the weeds, but having kind of that understanding of how technology works and understanding the emergence and evolution of these technologies has really helped me become not only a better marketer, but um, better in competitive intelligence. Yeah, like that's an interesting point as well. I imagine, you know, having moved through those different teams, you also um, have an easier time getting inside the head of, you know, maybe a person sitting in one of those teams in a a competitor company. Um, And perhaps we're better able to think, okay, well, you know, the software uh, uh, developers are probably thinking this, the sales engineers are probably thinking along these lines. Maybe we can position ourselves this way. Yes. And that's, and that's huge because the everyone has a different thought process about how they view the competition sales has a different view in terms of what they typically what they don't know about the competition is kind of what it's assumed or a lot of times it's different from us being a product marketer because we're doing the research we're trying to figure out how do we get this information how do we gather who we're getting the information from Whereas with sales, many times it's very reactive and rightfully so because they're talking with customers and the customer might say, hey, we own a competing product or we've been talking to a competitor and what they showed us was really great. And then that rep, you know, becomes, oh, wow, that's <laughs> that can be tough. How do we combat that or what can we do? What can you give us to combat that? So what I do and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in terms of the process of what I, you know, expect from sales and what they expect from me. But what we try to do is we know there's different aspects to what people want from competitive intelligence. And we have to make sure that when we're building competitive content that we take all those factors into account. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the, the stakeholder part is definitely a, a very big part of the puzzle. Um, something we'll spend a fair bit of time on um, in a little bit, but just before that, um, so you're currently at Delphix and I know you guys do DevOps test data management. Uh, can you give us a bit of background on Delphix um, yourselves, your product lines, and the work you do? Yeah, sure. So Delphix has been around since 2014, um, and the core product is what we do is test data management. We've since expanded that to cover certain areas. And what we mean by test data management, we also look into uh, what we call um, data masking, where we mask private and sensitive data, but we also help um, make sure that it's compliant so that um, you don't have this, what we call data sprawl of unsecured data. So what we do is we develop this platform, the Delphix data platform, that allows companies to create data with these, what we call um, temporary or um, ephemeral environments. Now these ephemeral environments are basically allow you to spin up that test data and tear it down when it's done. So it's one, it's a smaller footprint and two, it's less of a security risk because you don't have all these huge amounts of data just kind of spinning, sitting around. So that's primarily what we do. We do that. And so it's broken down into three areas, continuous data, continuous compliance, and, and continuous governance. 
and data governance and what we call operational governance. Got you. And, and, and what's that like um, to work competitive intelligence in as an industry? Is it is it very fast moving, always kind of reacting to something uh, very difficult to get and stay ahead? It's It can be a challenge. Um, it's not as difficult. I think what, just like with a lot of software companies, is that there are a lot of competitors that may not necessarily be direct competitors, but they're doing something similar to what you do. And we see that a lot within test data management. So for example, we also do what we call operational data governance, where we have the data side as well as the governance side. But there's a, an entire category, as you probably know, strictly for data governance. There is another category for test data management. There's also various categories for DevOps. So when you start looking at these companies, there's so many variations of some of the larger vendors versus some of the much smaller vendors and startups that are out there that we compete against. So it makes a huge difference because there are some that do maybe a fraction of what we do with our entire platform. And there's some that they do everything and then some. So it's a very broad um, space. So it can be a challenge depending on number one, who our sales reps are actually encountering in the field. And this is worldwide. Um, to those, sometimes they run into some of the smaller competitors and sometimes they run into the, into the larger ones. So what we have to do is kind of narrow down who are the top competitors, who do we see, and who are the ones we want to make sure that we kind of understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. So we do that by trying to categorize these different types of players, right? So those that may focus on masking only, those that may focus on compliance only, you know, those that may focus on a security angle and so forth. So it's uh, it can be a challenge, but it's not insurmountable the way that we break it down. Got you. Yeah, I can imagine that is a challenge, you know, like um, especially if, you know, maybe some of your prospects are kind of using multiple competitors or like they've got like a part of the solution that they need down and you're offering that part, but also, um, you know, some other parts as well that they need. Um, I guess it makes it quite tricky to navigate for, for sales and people trying to close those deals because like if there are a bunch of small, relatively unknown or indirect competitors who, you know, are kind of like taking a piece of the pie every time, you know, it must add up. So the prioritization piece we'll come back to in a little bit, but first, uh, just a bit more context around how it's kind of set up, if that's okay. So um, are you a small team at Delphix? Yes, very small. <laughs> yeah. So our, our marketing team is really just a handful of us. So um, as for me, I have multiple roles and you'll find that at a lot of smaller software companies. And, um, so what I do is not only do I do product marketing for our flagship product. So when we focus on DevOps TDM, um, test data management, but I also own competitive intelligence, but I also do what's known as release marketing. So we do a monthly product release. So I work with customer success, I work with engineering, I work with product management to actually help craft the message for when we release that month. Here's what we're releasing. Here's what's new. You know, that includes the blog post. It includes, you know, video snippets, GIFs. Um, it also includes a community email for our customer success team so they can contact those. So typically in this role, what you'll find as a product marketer, we wear many hats and we have to basically work with various groups. Um, and it's kind of par for the course. We're so used to doing this. This is just what we do, right? So product, um, so competitive intelligence is a part of that. Um, and to your original question, our team is very small. It's only 
really like three of us within the entire team and we're all wearing multiple hats and doing different things. Got you. So just like um, three marketers as a whole. So all the marketing team, including competitive intelligence, product marketing, um, and other facets, three people. Yes. And uh, let me kind of preface that. So it's really two, um, I would, we call us core product marketers. And we have one that is analyst relations on our team, which is, I mean, really a godsend because having analyst relations that within product marketing helps us so much, especially on the competitive intelligence front. Cool. And um, do you find yourself serving a like wide range of focus across the business? Is it, or is it like primarily one or two stakeholder groups like leadership and sales come up pretty much everybody I speak to, is that the same for you or does it really run the gamut? You know, obviously you're part of the market wider marketing team, I guess. So um, I assume there's some interfacing there as well. Yes. Yes. So we have, because we're such a small team and we, you know, kind of wear many different hats, we are interfacing with, so many different areas. We're working with senior leadership when we try to provide the messaging and positioning for our product. Um, we work with sales because we also have to work with sales enablement to do sales enablement and you know also competitive sales enablement as well. So not only just a product, but from a competitive standpoint. Um, we work with customer success because they need to understand what's coming out and they need the assets in order to talk to cust- existing customers about what we have. So it kind of spans really multiple stakeholders within the within the organization. Got you. Um, one question that I did have just off the back of, um, you know, you're, you're wearing so many different ha- uh, hats, as you said. My initial gut reaction to that is that must be like such a challenge and that must make doing competitive intelligence on its own like way harder. But I'm actually wondering, is that actually something that kind of helps in some ways because you're able to kind of have all that knowledge in your head, you've worked on these other aspects um, yourself. So, um, you know, you've got direct experience, firsthand experience with you know, some of the product marketing stuff. You don't have to build and maintain a relationship perhaps quite so formally as someone just doing dedicated competitive intelligence would have to if there was someone else doing product marketing, for instance. Um, what's what's that like? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but it's not insurmountable um, because as a product marketer, we know that many times are, especially specifically within the product marketing area, our budgets are limited. Every company that I've worked for is, you know, your, your budgets are going to be limited, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. What it does, it makes you even more, um, you know, more cognizant of what you need to be able to do on your own. It makes you more uh, um, uh, resourceful, basically. So it's, it can be a challenge, but at the same time, it lets us focus on what's really important because, you know, a lot of times product marketers uh, for most small software companies, you're not going to have the money to go out and, and get the, the tools and things that you want or need. But again, it's not a problem. It's just a matter of are you following the process of how you gather that information for competitive intelligence that's going to work? Because Everyone gets hung up on, oh, I need this tool. If I don't have this, then we're not going to be successful as company X, Y, Z. So for me, it's like, hey, it's just what we do is is par for the course. We have to do these things. So it can be challenging, but it's not a frustrating challenge, if that makes sense. Good to hear. Um, All right. You mentioned process there. And, you know, that made my ears perk up because, you know, obviously we're talking to different professionals in doing competitive intelligence in different industries and trying to pull out the 
similarities and differences between those processes. Um, and I know you mentioned to this this to me before the call as well. You said you've 100% got a process in place for competitive intelligence as a process. You said that sometimes you have to kind of coax other people into following, um, but it's one that works. Um, so let's get into the into the details of it, if if that's okay. Um, and we'll start with data today. So something we've heard repeatedly is um, in, in speaking to people, there's always an element of like passive or automated data collection, um, something that's helping people kind of keep a pulse on the market and just delivering something to an inbox, you know, whether it's RSS, Google Alerts, or a paid for CI platform. But then they've also got places they, where they like to go to kind of dig a little bit deeper, um, something catches their eye, or if they have to do some manual digging, you know, competitor websites, marketing collateral. Um, we had Mindy Regnell on the show recently, and you know, she pointed to support documentation, um, stuff like that is a really good one she likes to use. Um, what does that collection process look like for you? Is it some automated and some manual? Um, and when something catches your eye, where do you like to go to do um, a bit more of that digging at each stage? Sure. So for me, it's pretty much the vast majority of it is manual. Um, and so what I typically do is where I gather this information, of course, you know, through the internet, going to competitive websites, and especially those that actually post their documentation. Because what I really love about that, because they'll put on their limitations. They'll put, this is what we support, this is what we don't support. These are some of the issues that we're having in our current release. This is what's planned, this is what isn't planned. So I can gather a lot of information from that. So I try to use that and I try to go to various I try to, and this is a little bit controversial, depending on what company you work with. I try to avoid some of the peer review sites as much because a lot of times those are skewed or biased towards the the people that really, really love the product. You know, really, are you going to get, um, if you compare it to like a class door review for a company um, <laughs> where you're looking at, okay, I'm going to find some people that really love it. I'm going to find some people that really hate it. Typically, it's going to be skewed to those people that really love it when it comes to a lot of the peer review sites. I'll still check it out just to see what people really like about it and some of the great things. So we use that. Um, the other thing that I do, and this is where having our analyst relations person on our team is just valuable. So what I do is if I need information um, about just competitors within the industry, you know, we have relationships with Gardner, with Forrester, with IDC, um, 451 Research, and so forth. So I will ask her, hey, um, I'm looking at this particular company or this particular group or company. Are there any vendor rankings that you can provide that Gartner may have? Or is there anything that IDC is saying on this particular space? Because they have that research army, so we'll get a lot of that. Um, the other way we gather information is through our competitive Slack channel. So we try to gather as much information through that. So what I'll do, and everyone has access to it, which is great because we can say, hey, does anyone have any information or have you previously worked at this competitor? And they can say, hey, we know someone in the company. They used to work there. They were there for like 10 years. They can give you a lot of great insights. So we use that as a way to gather information as well. I, tr I also use Google Alerts because since we don't use a third-party tool, um, that's one way of just kind of getting some of that information. But I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So I'm just kind of you know, taking, you know, the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak, as well as just doing um, individual research and checking out various, uh, various sites. 
got you. And is that, uh, has that kind of um, morphed into more or less a routine for you now? Like having your morning coffee and you're sort of checking these things out. Um, and it's just something that you do so often now and you might not even be aware of when during the day you're checking them. Yeah. So I, I try to at least definitely check the competitive channel, you know, every day and I'm getting those alerts anyway from, from Slack. But what I try to do is make sure that um, I'm staying on top of everything else that's happening, you know, within the company in terms of getting that information. And then sometimes it's, even though we have a process, it can be reactive. And that's part of the nature within the, the software industry. And we have to go with that. And I always say, you know, there's going to be a reactive element to competitive intelligence. And sometimes you have to embrace it. You can't get frustrated, you know, but I do try to put in some guardrails in place. So for example, a rep may say, hey, we're going up against company XYZ. Do we have any competitive information on that? Or I've got a meeting tomorrow. I need some information on this competitor. So what I do in that is part of that process, even though it's sort of ad hoc, what I will do is say, okay, you're going up against this particular competitor. Tell me what is the scenario? What are they asking for? What Give me a little bit more detail as opposed to just you're going against this competitor, right? So what that does, it helps me curate the right information instead of kind of, you know, the proverbial show up and throw up with all this information about the competitor. So now I can just say, hey, let's let's focus on what's really important. If they're only concerned about data masking, then we can focus on that. If they're looking at some other aspect of, you know, cost savings or virtualization or whatever the case may be, then we can look at it from that perspective. So what I try to do is make it more of a dialogue as part of that process to where, hey, give me more details so that we can make sure that you're successful and you're not just going in there with a, armed with a lot of competitive information, but you don't know how to you know, sift through you know, what's really important. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And there's definitely a theme developing here with everyone that I speak to. Like, There's always a reactive element. Like, Obviously, you can't predict the future. You can't control for everything. Something's always going to get thrown into the mix that's you know a little bit of a firecracker kind of blasting around. Um, but how you handle that is really important. And it does seem like you say that the way to deal with that is primarily um, to make sure your communication with the stakeholder um, in question is really good and making sure you yeah. understand exactly what it is that they're asking for and the form that they want it in. Because, you know, if this is outside of your usual purview, then you want to make sure that every minute of your valuable time that's spent towards giving them what they need is um you know is is a step in the right direction rather than like a, a wild goose chase and then you deliver them something and oh we didn't actually want this or this isn't so helpful for these reasons you know it's quite important to get it right as early on as possible yeah absolutely okay um so some questions on organization for you then uh, do you have somewhere kind of centralized that you collect that data as it comes in like obviously there are all these disparate sources um it sounds like it's a challenge for everybody. Um, is there somewhere that you kind of um, put it either for yourself or I guess for other people, um, maybe slightly uh, different thing, but or, or for other people to come in and, and access as well? Yeah, it's a great question. So we actually use a product called HighSpot. And so with HighSpot, we have different pages for not only our products, but for sales, but we have a competitive spot where we upload all that information. So I, I basically create our competitive battle card decks, which are our, our um, Google Slides. And we have those listed on the page and they can go through and find out, okay, how many competitive decks do we have? 
we also have a link on there to any analyst reports that we have internal access to. So we make sure that they have access to that. So we try to make sure we have all of that in any information that comes from the field. So if the field puts together something, if someone from sales say, hey, I put this comparison together against this competitor, I'll take that and I'll upload it. And you know, with the caveat saying, hey, this was from a competitor, um, from a sales engineer or a sales rep, you know, we've uploaded this. This was from, you know, maybe three months ago, but it still has some relevant information. You can check it out. Uh, so I try to incorporate as much information from the various stakeholders within the organization. So, but that's kind of where we actually store all the information. So when someone says, hey, do we have a battle card on this particular company or any competitive info? I send them directly to that shared um, place in, in, uh, in high spot. Okay, that's interesting. So is that, you know, you've taken the raw data, you've performed some analysis or kind of transmuted it into whatever deliverable form they need, like a battle card, for example, and then they go in there as kind of a self-serve, you know, I want information on competitor X. I know that I'm going to find it in the high spot um, location. Yes, that's correct. So it's not only that just the, the formal, you know, battle card deck that we create, but it could be something that we've done as a one-off. For example, um, we had a, a, a direct competitor a few months ago created a blog post that said basically like the 12 reasons you shouldn't buy Delphix or something like that. So we basically created uh, an internal response to each of those points that they've made, right? So we could, you know, dispute each of those claims. And so we've taken that. And so not necessarily for our sales to use it to be defensive, so that they understand exactly where they're coming from and so that they understand that if you're going against this competitor, here are the things that they're probably going to say about you if you're in a competitive situation with them. And here's how we respond. Because not necessarily that we want to be on the defensive. We want to talk about how we're different or how we're better. And we want to make sure that we address that. So we'll take that and we'll put that on there. We won't necessarily include it in a battle card because, again, we don't want it to be overwhelming. The battle card deck needs to be kind of that quick reference. But we want to have that as just additional um, curated competitive content that our reps can go in and review and understand if they're going up against that particular competitor. Right. So you mentioned, you know, um, you're definitely working with the kind of internal subject matter experts, sales engineers, people like that, um, pulling Intel from those locations, as well as, I guess, the, the kind of quote-unquote external competitor uh, locations like um, competitive websites, their documentation, you know, these bigger analyst services like Forrester Gartner. Um, places like that for some data as well. Um, is there any um, kind of like customer research or win-loss kind of stuff that you're doing at the moment? We are. We're still trying to work, trying to really kind of perfect how we do win-loss analysis, making sure we get the right data, making sure we get clean win-loss data, right? Because I think where a lot of definitely software companies where they struggle is with win-loss directly being recorded internally, like in Salesforce, where the information is located. So we're still working through that. So I try to talk to as many reps directly uh, as I can to really find out, okay, you know, had we, you know, what was our situation against this competitor? Did we win? Did we lose the deal? Why did we lose? Why did we churn a deal and get that information as much as possible? There's some valuable data within that. So one of the things we are exploring is possibly using, you know, hopefully in the future, a third-party service for win-loss analysis. But today, it's pretty much a manual process. You know, we'll survey the field. 
and say, hey, have you come across this particular competitor? What was the outcome of that? So that's kind of how we we look at some of that um, customer research data. We also make sure that we talk to customers that are, um, you know, pro Delphix in terms of, you know, that are willing to tell us why they chose Delphix and kind of use that as a customer reference and being able to use that in terms of why customers choose Delphix. So we don't have to go through the whole back and forth. So if they're in, you know, the healthcare industry, if they're in FinTech, or if they're in manufacturing, why did they choose us? Because the most powerful element um, for software companies in competitive situations are those customer testimonials. Are they using us? Why do they use us? What are the benefits they're getting? What is the ROI? And that really helps as opposed to getting into the technical weeds of, well, we do this, they don't do that. Because uniqueness in the technical industry, and I heard this phrase from a course from this company that sells, it's, it's called force management. And they always talk about, they're one of the phrases that they say is that uniqueness is fleeting. So a lot of times folks want to understand what is what do we have that's so unique that that competitor doesn't have, right? And so in the software industry, you don't really have that. So we really have to focus on how do we do it differently or how do we do it better? And that's where we want to focus on as opposed to when you focus on just the featured bits, then you get on the defensive side. So it doesn't really help elevate that sale or kind of move, move the needle. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense and um, quite interesting as well. I think the approach like kind of objective sources of data, like what the competitors are saying about themselves really on their websites with in, in terms of the documentation as well. Um, and then, you know, you've got the information that you get from the internal subject matter experts as well maybe a bit more subjective, kind of filtered through, um, you know, a couple of different brains, if you like, before it gets to you. Um, but then you also mentioned that you're a little bit wary of the, the like peer review websites. It makes a lot of sense, right? Because like with reviews, you've got the like kind of survivorship bias problem or like self-selection where it's only people who really love it or really hate it who leave a review in the first place. So you've got this swathe of stuff in the middle that's just not reported on. And then if you go out and actively try to survey people, they actually all tend to cluster in the middle anyway, because they don't want to upset you. And you brought it up already, but the next thing I was going to ask you about was how do you make sure the data that comes in is clean when you're dealing with customer testimonials and stuff like that? If you're using those, how do you do it? Right. It's, it's a difficult one to get right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great question. So the way that we do it internally, and so I believe in iteration, right? So if I have some competitive information, I'm going to make sure I get it out there. But I also want that feedback because the sales teams are interacting with customers every day. They're seeing these customers. We have partners that are partners with us and some of our competition as well. So we try to at least get the information out there so that everyone can see it and review it. So, for example, if I put a battle card together of the information that I've gathered, I put it out there and say, hey, on the, on the Slack message, on the competitive hey, sales teams or anyone, check out this battle card. Let me know what you think. Put comments and tag me in the battle card itself so that we can update it. So that way we can iterate, make sure we're getting the correct information. We can vet it and make sure everything's correct. And I'll give you another example. So recently, a, um, a regional sales manager set up a Zoom meeting with me and my manager to talk about a battle card I created. And he was like, hey, this is good, but I really think we should focus on this. I don't necessarily think this is correct. So 
what we want to be able to do, especially since we're such a small team and really with me kind of being the, you know, directly responsible is to be able to take that feedback and make sure that we update it to the best of our abilities. And so that we can make those changes that's more important for sales because a lot of times some of the information we have, you know, from my perspective, it might be great. They might say, you know what, that's not really what we need. We need this. So we uh, make sure that it's vetted across the entire organization. I even have our product managers look at it as well. We find people that possibly worked at these companies that can help validate some of that information. So we try to take more of a guerrilla approach in terms of how we validate and vet a lot of this information just to make sure that it's, it's correct. Because the last thing we want is for them to be able to look at this information and go to a customer and parrot what they saw on a, on a battle card and it, you know, the information being correct. So we try to do that. And we try to make sure that we, again, it's iteration, right? Because you always have to keep constantly updating the battle card. So the goal is to make sure, Hey, check it out. If something has changed, let me know, tag it in the card. So I don't mind having multiple people's hands in this stuff. I, I embrace it so that way we're able to make sure that we have that correct information. That sounds like a really, really smart approach, like being really aggressive, making sure that everything you've got in there is as accurate as it can possibly be at that moment, but also accepting that, you know, this isn't going to be the final version. There might be something that this time tomorrow is no longer accurate. We just have to own that and update it and not be afraid to kind of change things um, or give up a bit of control, as you say. Yeah. And another thing we do is one of the things that I try to avoid when, when we're building this is to, I want to avoid saying what the competition can't do unless I can fully 100% verify it. So what I do, for example, like when we're looking at potential landmines, you know, most people say, well, they can't do this, you know, ask them about this. Well, that's great. But at the same time, okay, how do you validate that? Because you never know what's on their roadmap, what they're putting out in, you know, alpha or even beta form to some of their clients. And so I don't want our reps to go out there and assume that the customer, I mean, that the competitor can't do something. So what I'll do, especially if they link if they have access to their online documentation and they say, hey, these are the platforms we support today, we don't support this. Or if they talk about why they can't do something, I send them to that. I say, check out their documentation. Here's directly from the competitor in terms of what they support, what they can do, what they can't do, as opposed to us kind of assuming based upon our conversations, right? Because we don't want to go from here saying we want to have as detailed, accurate information that we can validate. Got you. Okay, so let's say, you know, you've got all the information you need and maybe, you know, it's, it's something that's maybe not some sales enablement, but maybe more strategic, something that you're, you're delivering to leadership. Um, usually, presumably, there's some kind of like uh, data analysis going on or, or competitor analysis going on in there. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about frameworks, um, you know, pestle analysis, macroeconomic factors, stuff like that. Um, do you guys do any of that there um, at... Uh, at Delphix or, um, you, you know, are there any frameworks used repeatedly, even if it's something simple as a SWOT analysis, or is it a bit more kind of free form than that? It's been mostly free form because what we're trying to do is curate the data in the best way possible, right? Because we are a very, you know, small, nimble team. Like I said, it's, you know, you're, you're talking about a small team of, of three from a competitor, um, from a product marketing standpoint. So we have to figure out what are what's the best use of our time and how can we stay on top of something as important as competitive intelligence and how do we 
gather this information. So we don't necessarily have that direct framework. We try to gather it the best way we can. So that's where analyst relations comes into play because they can easily, we can say, hey, we've been hearing a lot about this competitor. What are the analysts saying? Are there any things from Gartner from the hype cycle or vendor rankings? Or what is IDC saying? What are they saying about the market? Or maybe someone's trying to pivot. So we don't necessarily have that true framework. It's more of, okay, these this is the process we're going to have for gathering competitive intelligence. Here's what I need from sales in order to give me that information. Um, so I need to understand, you know, what type of discovery did you do with the customer? So we don't really have that direct framework because it is very different, especially for a smaller software company because you don't have those resources. So you pretty much have to kind of do things very, um, some things ad hoc, but, you know, just more guardrails in place. Got you. Okay. So, um, you know, if you are delivering something kind of, um, you know, a bit more strategic um, for leadership, um, you know, and it's a bit more freeform, as you say, like, what's the process for kind of getting from data to here's your deliverable, like whether it's a report or, or whatever it is, is it literally just a case of kind of, you know, here's the data we've got, understanding exactly what, you know, leadership requires from that report, what they want to know, and then just kind of uh, documenting it? Yeah. So I'd say in this one, it's more of like, for example, if I'm doing a competitive, competitive brief, let's say a competitor just acquired another company or they've added this, you know, um, core feature from that acquisition, I would do a competitive brief. And within that brief, I would say, hey, here's the company, here's who they acquired, here's the capabilities, what does that mean for us? So that's something that we would prepare for the executive and really for the entire company so that everyone understands, okay, is this acquisition significant? You know, is this a severe threat to us or does it move the needle at all? So we try to make sure that when we put something together, we make sure it's as formal as possible. And that circulates within management. So I make sure that our VP of product marketing sees it, our VP of product, We'll see it. Um, our CMO and other folks that are in those leadership positions, sales leadership, so that before we get it out there, we kind of vet it and make sure that, okay, this is tight enough to where we can send to the organization. So we want to make sure that whatever we put out from that competitive brief makes sense. And it's not necessarily overwhelming, but just kind of getting them a cursory understanding of, hey, you heard the news, they've made this acquisition. Is this something we really need to worry about or just something we just need to continuously monitor to make sure that um, we we continue to understand if it is a threat and if it could be a growing threat? All right. Okay. Um, so we've established, you know, you're primarily serving, I guess, sales and um, and leadership. You know, you're part of the marketing slash product marketing team yourself. So there's some interfacing going on there. In terms of, you know, going back to what we said at the beginning, you know, you're wearing so many hats. There are you know, so many kind of different responsibilities to juggle. Um, how do you prioritize, I guess, requests when they come in from um, various stakeholder groups, um, uh, you know, in and amongst your kind of day-to-day -day responsibilities that you have to keep on top of? Sure. So I typically prioritize it based upon what season we're in, in that particular quarter, right? So if a request comes during a time where we're trying to do some sort of marketing campaign, then some of those requests have to get prioritized and put on the back burner, right? If I get some of those ad hoc requests of, hey, we're in a competitive situation, I need something by tomorrow, can you get me something on 
this competitor that we may not have heard of. And some of those instances, I have to, I just have to say no and say, look, we just, we're, we're tied up. We don't have the resources. I will get to that as soon as we can. And we'll try to get you as much information as possible. So that's one of the things that we try to do. And then I try to see who I can pull in to actually help. So it might be someone, you know, one of my, my teammates say, Hey, um, I'm doing the release this week. I'm working on the blog post, working on the campaign. Can you kind of take this and see what information you can gather for this person? Or I may go to our analyst relations person and say, Hey, they're asking about this. Can you, is there any information that you can find on that? And so I kind of try to prioritize it that way so that it's not completely overwhelming. Um, and I think in our but, but best thing about, you know, Delphix and the company is that if we have a really um, self-starter type mentality across the entire organization. So people are really, they're really understanding and they're willing to kind of help understand what is the best way to go about, um, you know, gathering and disseminating information and helping prioritize. So that's what I try to do is just, if I can't do it, I have to put it on the back burner and say, hey, we just can't get to it today based on all these other priorities. But if it's something that's where I do have to drop everything, then, you know, we do it. So we just kind of weigh the pros and cons of what we have to do and when we can get that information out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seems very wise. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people might be afraid to kind of accept that, you know, sometimes the best answer is no, but, you know, if you simply don't have the resources and if you've got another priority going on, especially if it's coming from the top down and it's kind of got the blessing of, or even if it's been kind of, um, you know, assigned to you by leadership or something like that, then, you know, part of prioritizing is that there's always more work to do than you could possibly have time to do. So something has to get pushed at some point. So. Yeah, exactly. And I always say this, you know, if it, if it, if there's a request from the CEO, then, you know, hands down, everything drops, right? <laughs> That's going to take priority over, over everything. But in terms of just kind of the, the day to day, we want to make sure that, because if you don't, something's going to fall, uh, you know, something's going to slip. So you need to make sure that everyone understands what you're doing, what your role is, how you're doing it. Because a lot of times in product marketing, people don't really understand what a product marketer does. Right. So if you're a competitive intelligence professional, everyone pretty much understands specifically what you do. Product marketing can vary from company to company in terms of their responsibilities and what they're doing. So you need to one of the first things that you should do when you join a company as a product marketer is make sure that the stakeholders and the team that you interface with, they know the things that you're doing, the priorities that you do have so that they're much more empathetic when it comes to how you organize your work and how you prioritize it. So that really, really helps me kind of lay out the ground rules in terms of this is what I do on a daily basis. These are the things that are going to be most important. So they understand that, okay, wow, you've got a lot going on. How can I help? Cool. Got you. And in terms of like deliverables in general, like um, I guess specifically from the competitive intelligence standpoint, um, what kind of competitive intelligence deliverables do you find yourself working on or like handing over the majority of the time? Like you mentioned the competitive briefs, um, battle cards are obviously in there. What other ones do you find yourself um, working on or have you found, you know, that in, um, you know, test data management, uh, you know, these deliverables are really important and, um, you know, we have to make sure that those go out regularly or, or always updated. The main thing for us is really the battle card decks that we create. 
And so the battle card deck is just more than the battle card itself. So we try to include different items within the deck itself. So we have uh, the kind of the overview battle card itself, which is kind of a standard template that talks about company overview, product, uh, competitive differentiators, you know, why do we win? You know, some references to wins, you know, customer pricing, that nature. Then we'll also break it down to what are some of the, you know, objection handling, you know, questions, you know, um, discovery questions and things of that nature. And then I will add in sometimes with an area that I call tales from the field, right? So what is sales experiencing in here? And what is it like when they, and I'll have links to that as well. And I'll try to use that as the main, <clears throat> that's typically the main deliverable. So with us being small, it's a matter of saying, hey, go to the deck. Because the deck is not just a card itself. It's all these items that are much more comprehensive. And if you have any questions after going through that, we can set up a meeting directly or you can put it within the competitive Slack channel. So that's kind of really the, our main deliverable just at this stage. I think as we start to grow and expand and we start expanding our responsibilities, then we'll be able to add in more of those deliverables. But for us, it's pretty much just that that battle card deck. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, the battle card, it, it's, it's, um, it's a deck. It sounds almost to me like it's more of like a one-stop shop for not just sales, but anybody in the business who wants to come up to speed with, um, you know, a particular competitor, they can go to, you know, presumably this, this is in high spot as well. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So they yep. can go into high spot, find the battle card deck on competitor X and bring themselves up to speed. Everything they need is in there. Um, so it's kind of like a full on, um, you know, data pack for everything that they could want to know about that competitor, um, to help them do their job. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. And again, like I said, with us being a small company and not really a lot of resources, we have to make sure that we get them. What is something that's easily digestible for the, the entire organization? Where they can they quickly get the information, get what they need? Um, and there are times where you know we have to do a little bit more deeper dive analysis. But again, that's where iteration takes place. We make sure that, hey, you know, we've got some information. We don't have some of the deep technical knowledge on this particular competitor product that maybe some of the technical engineers would like to have. But what we'll do is try to figure out, okay, how can we get this information? How can we understand what does that you know, competitive um, uh, landscape look like uh, for this particular um, area or, or product? So it's for a company our size and what we're trying to do um, and with the, the number of resources, that's kind of the more, I would say the most efficient and most prominent piece of content that we can provide for them. Um, are there any kind of challenges or idiosyncrasies about your industry that you specifically think, or, or perhaps just work, you know, since you started working at Delphix, that may be a difference elsewhere um, that you think, you know, gosh, I wish I'd known about this when I started, you know, um, if I'd had some, something set up to deal with this, this would have saved me a lot, a lot of time. Anything like that? I would say what's, I think with, with Delphix, what is different than a lot of industries is because we're dealing with, an area of data that um, that most aren't familiar with. I think for me, you know, this being a new field, I've been in the test automation industry. Um, so I understood the use of 
getting fresh data for development and testing. I never understood the process of what was involved into getting and creating that test data. So that was kind of the, the biggest challenge. And then you have all these different competitors that are doing different things. So it was initially, you know, the biggest challenge was understanding who are the real competitors and understanding that. So I think that was the the biggest challenge initially, because like I said, there are a lot of smaller competitors that are doing just bits and pieces of what we do, but we'll run into them in a competitive situation. So it's like, okay, how do we, you know, kind of, you know, tamper the the fear when they run into some of these companies and understand what category that they're in. So um, I think for me, in terms of just making sure that we're providing the right data and information, it was more of just really under, getting a better understanding of the space and who's in it. And um, that was one of the biggest challenges uh, for me. And then I think the other thing that, you know, I had to learn was, you know, and I, I talked about using different tools in the past, right? So in the past, I've used products like Clue. I've used products like Crayon, you know, which are just awesome products, right? But being able to making sure that one of the advantages we have of not using products like that is that we are responsible for how we manage that data, where we store it, and how frequently we update it. So I think the other thing is, okay, let's not be dependent on products like that, as great as they are, but to make sure that we can develop those processes internally to where we're not fully dependent on changes in leadership. Because typically, um, just, just give you an example, like the average tenure of a chief marketing officer is typically like less than two years. So if your budget for marketing falls under that, if you have these tools, sometimes they can change. They might say, you know what? Those products are too expensive. Cut it out. Why aren't we using Microsoft Teams? Why aren't we using... Um, or are we using SharePoint? Why are we using Google? Why are we using Docs or Slides or whatever to store this information? So I think what it does, it helps make the team much more resourceful. And that's one of the things I really try to concentrate on in terms of what do we have today? What can we use today that's going to make us more efficient where we're not dependent upon the tool, but we're putting the processes in place. So um, I think that's one of the things that I had to learn having use those products at other companies and assuming that I could always have them everywhere that I'm going. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that anyone else who finds themselves or has found themselves in that position, you know, relying on a competitive intelligence platform, you know, quite a sophisticated tool, and then suddenly kind of having the rug pulled out from under them, moving somewhere that doesn't have access to those tools, doesn't have the budget to get them, um, you know, and, and having to adapt to that. I imagine is very difficult, but I imagine for you, it's been like, um, especially now, I can imagine you're probably quite grateful to have, have had to build that kind of string to your bow, if you like, of being able to kind of thrive and succeed without them. Because I imagine it's quite freeing to know that using quite simple tools, you can be very effective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in the competitive intelligence field, I think this is an area that's ripe for some sort of low cost or free or open source competitive tooling out there to help build the industry. I know there are, there are a few out there today, but I think it's, this industry is really ripe to get those organizations that really need to 
organize what they had using the existing tools that they have that maybe help me provide some of those um, uh, efficiencies. Um, one thing that you mentioned was, um, you know, going back to, again, something that we said near the beginning, um, you know, one of, one, of the, one of your main challenges, so so many small competitors you'll encounter, um, you know, during the course of uh, the sales cycle, but um, not being sure of who the real competitors are. How did you go about figuring out who those real competitors were, who you were going to start, um, you know, actively pushing resources towards, um, you know, on a regular basis? And, and um, how did you figure out who to leave out of that? Yeah, great question. So what I did was when I initially joined, um, part of my initial charter was to create um, my plan for competitive intelligence and how it would be run at this company. So what I did was I interviewed, you know, various stakeholders within the organization. Like, who are the main competitors that you're seeing on a regular basis? Who do you run into? You know, I said, give me the top three. Right. So if I know those top three and it's always a top three that you're always going to see. And then I say, what are some of the you know smaller competitors you're seeing? And it's going to vary from region to region. You know, in the U.S., it's going to vary from the West Coast to the East Coast to the Central region. Then I have to go to EMEA and then, you know, APJ and get that. So my goal is to get that information. But I also did some information, did, did some digging on who are some of the competitors in the space overall. And then we started seeing some of the smaller competitors, you know, some of them, none of us had even heard of, but they were getting VC funding. You know, they received, you know, series A of, you know, $3 million to build out, you know, competitive features. So what I did was when I kind of gathered in information, it was more of understanding, okay, if these are our top competitors, then the next thing is to bet that, okay are these really our top three competitors or are we just seeing a lot of them? And we kind of go through that and, you know, making sure that, because again, sales is going to be that main source of that information in terms of who we compete against and, you know, who we, you know, who is a bigger threat who we lose against. So the goal was to gather that information, but also look for some of those smaller companies that could be these emerging threats. And being able to categorize them to say, okay, if you see these guys, what is it about them that's going to, um, that could possibly disrupt us in the future? So that's really helped. So we kind of put them in a, a bucket of these are the ones that are doing this. These are the ones that focus on a particular vertical only. And so that made it much easier. So now on this show, I have to focus on a lot of the smaller guys but really the main competitors and then some of the emerging competitors. I'll give you an example. When I was at GitLab a few years ago, we were doing competitive intelligence. You know, GitLab does the entire DevOps platform. So anything that has DevOps in the title or anything you're doing within that CI/CD process is included in there. So that's a lot of competitors, right? You're talking about hundreds of competitors. Well, one of the things that they were looking at was who do we really compete against when you look at kind of a holistic single platform? The main competitor that kept rising up to the top, of course, was GitHub. And at the time, Microsoft had just acquired them. Then you had other competitors like, you know, CloudBees that was doing something similar. Then you had Harness. So we were able to kind of eliminate or kind of reduce the amount of attention we paid to some of the smaller vendors that did, you know, release management, continuous integration, continuous delivery. And the main focus was, hey, we're going to focus on Microsoft and GitHub, because that's going to be number one. And then we're also going to focus on 
harness, we're going to focus on, um, um, thinking of the third one, you know, cloud-based, you know, and to a certain extent, at, Atlassian, because of their tool set. So it helps reduce the amount. So once you can do that, it makes it easier to focus as opposed to just jumping at anyone that's considered a competitor and say, hey, no, these are the guys we really need to focus on. These are the ones that are going to cause us the most trouble. But again, monitor these other guys, you know, to the best of our abilities. Right. Okay. So kind of like surveying opinions from, you know, across the company, really, in terms of like, you know, who are, who are the big names who keep coming up? then who are some of the smaller names looking out for, you know, the kind of three or so staples that are just always there and everybody's mentioning them and they're very, very consistent across the board and going, like, okay, so those are going to be the priorities. That's pretty clear. And then the kind of yes. smaller competitors, they're going to chop and change. And so long as they're chop and changing, you know, um, between the, the people we're kind of surveying, um, you know, maybe they deserve a little bit less attention, maybe not zero, but um, certainly less. Yeah. And then also we, we, we want to make sure that we're, we continue to focus on win-loss and get as much information from those wins and losses. Because if we've lost a huge deal to a major competitor, then we know, okay, this is something we need to look at and understand why. We want to dig into the actual why. Um, so when it comes to win-loss, I want to make sure that it's as accurate as possible. Because a lot of times when folks look at win-loss, it always comes down to, well, if you don't have a true program in place, many times it comes down to blaming it on the product. Well, we lost because we couldn't do this and they had this capability. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You know, there's customers that have bought us and we've won against them and we still didn't have the capability. So what is the real reason that we lost? So a lot of times we want to make sure that we're looking at win-loss analysis, we're digging into the actual details. Was it a pricing issue? Was it a relationship issue with the with the rep you know or was it a budget issue you know what could it be or did they merge with another company we want to find out what are the actual details we don't want to make sure this it's a blame game on the product that we didn't have the features now sometimes that can be true but if you don't have if you don't ask the right questions or do the you know customer interviews you know, then you won't actually get that type of information to really find out why you won or why you lost. Got you. Okay. So, you know, a little bit of surveying across the business um, and then making sure you're in touch with what the customers and what the market is saying um, as well. Nice. Yes. Um, well, Clint, we've covered um, data gathering. We've covered some analysis stuff, um, some context, background about you and about Delphix and uh, test data management industry. Um, working with stakeholders feels like we've pretty much run the gamut. Just before we wrap up, um, is there anything that you feel that we've missed that you feel is pretty essential to how you do competitive intelligence um, at Delphix that uh, you'd like to mention? Sure. And I think for product marketers, and this is one of the things that I really want to stress for product marketers is that, look, it's not about, it's not about budget. You're never going to have enough to do what you want to do, but my motto is no budget, no problem, because there are resources out there either internally within your company or externally, you know, via various sites. You just have to be as creative and resourceful as you can. And I think that's what helps product marketers not necessarily get frustrated with dealing with competitive intelligence, because a lot of times they can get, you know, extremely frustrating. So to me, it's just a matter of, okay, you know, hustle, find what you need 
find the best way to gather that information and you're going to be successful and take feedback and be able to incorporate that feedback into the content that you're building. So I think if that can help a lot of product marketers deal on the competitive side, then I'm hoping that message, you know, gets across. So. Awesome. Well, Clint, look, thanks so much for coming on the show uh, and taking the time to talk to us. Um, really enjoyed our conversation. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to, to, to come and chat. Um, if you want to keep up with you, uh, where can they find you? Sure. You can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm definitely available there. Um, or you can contact me at, uh, Delphix. I'm sure you can guess the, uh, the email address, but if you contact me, if you check me out on LinkedIn, I'm there. I'm also part of the competitive intelligence Alliance. So if you join that particular group, um, you can meet me there. We can, um, chat it up. We can slack and all that good stuff. And, uh, Hopefully, you know, we'll run into each other in various conferences or whatnot. So, um, but yeah, so anyone that's listening, just feel free to, to reach out. Any advice that I can provide, more than willing. Awesome. Once again, thank you very much, Clint. Cheers. Great chatting with you. No problem. Thank you. Five experts, five industries, five case studies, almost 50 years combined CI experience. If you've been enjoying the CI by Industry series, you'll love the CI by Industry ebook. We've taken our chats with experts in this series and gone even further. We collated shared wisdom, distilling it into established best practices. We teased out differences to identify creative and unique ways of solving industry-specific challenges. If you do competitive intelligence in any capacity, there's something for you in the CI by Industry ebook. We are absolutely stoked with how this one turned out. You're not going to want to miss it, so head to the link in the show notes for more information.